know, it's commonplace in, in our culture, uh, not necessarily a bad thing, but when you run into somebody that you know, it's commonplace to ask them almost right away, how are you doing? Right? Like if I, if I run into you, one of the first things we're going to say to each other is, how are you doing? And it's understood that when we ask that question, we aren't really expecting any other answer than, I'm doing good, how are you? And of course we say, good, good, and then, then we're free to move on and talk about the weather or the game or the news, whatever else makes for a good conversation. Do not ask me about the Florida game, please, last night. It's just a typical everyday interaction, though, right? How are you doing? Good, good. Let's go. So this morning, I want to ask, though, if someone were to ask you, how are you doing, and, and communicate to you that they actually want to know. They're not just getting past the cultural to-dos, but they actually want to know, how are you doing? And you, and you gave them the real answer. I think that many of us would say things like this. Say, I'm discouraged about something that's happening at my job. Or I'm sad about a loss that I've recently experienced. Or I'm weary for just from how difficult life has been lately. Or I'm anxious about the future and all the unknowns I'm facing. Or I'm fearful about what's going on with my health. These are the kinds of things that we would be saying if we were really answering the question, and if you're one of those people this morning who would truly be able to say, I'm doing good, and you really are, the reality is that at some point, probably this week, you're, you're going to experience at least one of those emotions. We live in a broken world, and it doesn't take long to go from good to discouraged, or good to sad, or good to weary, or anxious, or to fearful. This is often how we really are doing. Well, the reason the world doesn't really ask that question with, with any true intention of getting answers because the world doesn't really have an answer. The world doesn't really have anything to say when we open up and, and say, I'm not actually doing good. All the world has are truisms like, chin up, think positive, things will get better. And we all know that those are just totally empty words. I mean, you don't know that things will get better. But church, we have something that we can say to one another when we're feeling those things. We can speak the words of Christ to each other that he spoke to a paralyzed man 2,000 years ago. We can say to each other, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Take heart, your sins are forgiven. You can open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, we are looking at verses 1 through 8 this morning. We're in a series through Matthew called Following the Fulfillment. And we're in a section of Matthew starting at the beginning of chapter 8 where Matthew has been stringing together these stories that show us Jesus demonstrating his authority. Uh, for the last few weeks we've been seeing all these different demonstrations that Jesus has power and authority in this world. We saw at the beginning of chapter 8, he has authority over sickness. So every type of sick person, every, every, every disease that was brought to Jesus, he healed every one of them. He healed all that came to him. Jesus has authority over sickness. And then we saw that Jesus has authority over nature. There was a, a raging storm and they were in a boat with his disciples and the, and the disciples said, we're going to drown Jesus. Don't you, aren't you going to save us? And he, he rebukes the wind and the sea and causes the storm to be completely still. His authority over the forces of nature. 
And then last week we saw that he has authority over demons, over the spiritual realm, the spiritual forces of evil. There were these violent demons that would attack anybody who came near to the men they possessed. And yet when Jesus comes, they come trembling before him. And Jesus casts them out with a word. Matthew has been showing us over and over again, Jesus has complete and full authority. And this morning is the, the last story in this section of Matthew that, where, where Matthew shows us Jesus' authority. It's one final demonstration of his authority. Let's read it together. Matthew 9, verses 1 through 8. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. In these verses, we see Jesus' message to us, Take heart, your sins are forgiven. Simple, take heart, your sins are forgiven. And, and listen, unlike the world, Jesus doesn't just call us to take heart for no reason. He doesn't just say, chin up. Think positive. He says, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Jesus calls us to take heart because our sins have been forgiven. The good news of forgiveness should cause us to always take heart, no matter what's going on in our lives. The good news of forgiveness should cause us to always take heart, no matter what is happening in our lives. And yet, if that's true, then church, why do we so easily find ourselves discouraged or depressed or anxious or fearful it's because taking heart is a battle. Taking heart is a battle. We, we, we easily don't see things the right way, and especially when things are not going well in our lives. These, the, the, these things cloud our spiritual vision, and they keep us from remembering what's real and what's true. Taking heart is a battle, and this story this morning helps us in this battle. This story teaches us how to fight this battle this morning, as we walk through this passage, we're going to see three things that we need to realize if we're going to be people who take heart in our forgiveness. Jesus calls us to take heart in our forgiveness, but that is not just a natural, easy thing for any one of us. If we're going to take heart in forgiveness, then we need to realize three things and keep them in mind. First, in order to take heart in our forgiveness, we must realize that forgiveness is our greatest need. In order to take heart in our forgiveness, we must realize that forgiveness is our greatest need. Look at how this story begins. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. So the text begins with Jesus back in his own city, back in Capernaum. He's been here before. He's done miracles here before. This is where he was when the crowds were all coming to him. And he said, we've got to get out of here because there's too many people coming right now. And so he's back and he doesn't go unnoticed. His, his return does not go unnoticed. We don't see it um, just explicitly here in this passage, but we know from the other Gospels that Jesus is, is in a house that is full of people that are coming to him. That they're all coming back. They want to see Jesus. They want to hear Jesus. They want to receive some benefit from Jesus. And, and there's this man 
who's been paralyzed. He cannot walk. And he's got friends. Just imagine that you, you and a group of friends are together, and one of your friends is paralyzed. He can't ever go with you. You have to carry him wherever he goes to be with him. And, and you guys hear that this man Jesus is back in town. And so they hatch up a plan to get to Jesus. He and his friends decide they need to get to Jesus. And his friends put him on a mat, and they get to the house. And again, we know from the parallel accounts in the other Gospels that when they get to the house, they couldn't get inside. So, so, so these friends are carrying Jesus, or ca- carrying this man, this paralyzed man, on a mat to Jesus. They can't get inside because it's so full. So what do they do? They, they somehow lift this man up onto the roof. And then they actually start making a hole in the roof. I don't know whose house that was. I'm sure they weren't very pleased. But they're making a hole in the roof and they're lowering the man through the roof to Jesus. And we all know what they're there for. They, we all know what they're there for. They, they believed Jesus could heal their friend. This man believed Jesus could make him walk. That's what they're wanting. That's what they're after. They want to see Jesus heal him like he's healed everyone else. So that this paralyzed man, their friend, can walk again. But look, Jesus does not give them what they came for. Look at the end of verse 2. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. Now I want you to try to get inside the mind of the paralyzed man in this moment. Can you imagine what this man must have been feeling as he hears Jesus say, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. He didn't come for forgiveness. That's not what he was after. He came to walk. Jesus has healed everyone who came to him. And his friends do all this work to get him to Jesus, up on the roof, down in front of Jesus, and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. It's very likely that this man's first response was not exuberance at this declaration of forgiveness, but rather discouragement that he was still paralyzed. He wasn't after forgiveness. He wanted to walk. But I think this is why Jesus says to him, Take heart, my son. Be encouraged. Be comforted. Jesus is saying to him, don't be discouraged that you're still paralyzed. I'm giving you something greater. I'm giving you something better. You need forgiveness more than you need healing. Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus is calling this paralyzed man to a complete paradigm shift, isn't he? In this moment, he needed to have a shift in his mentality. He needed to stop valuing physical healing as his greatest need. And he had to begin valuing forgiveness as his greatest need. What what is the greatest thing that could happen to you? What what, what is the thing that you want most in your life right now? What's the one thing that you want Jesus to change about your life? You see, the paralyzed man wanted Jesus to make him walk, but he needed to stop thinking that the greatest thing that could happen to him would be to walk again. He needed to realize that the greatest thing that could happen to him would be a reconciled relationship with his creator. And church, this is the same shift that needs to happen in our own minds. If, if Jesus' words, take heart, your sins are forgiven, are going to mean anything to us, then we need to have this shift happen in our minds. When we're discouraged, when we're sad, when we're fearful, when we're anxious, it's usually because there's some situation in our lives 
some difficulty that we're facing, and we become so consumed by the situation that we want nothing more than for it to change. And we'll even go to Jesus, because we know Jesus has authority, and we want Jesus to help us and to change our situation. We say, here's, here's what we need you to do, Jesus. Please help us. Please, please give us what we need. But we need to realize that there's something we need so much more than help in our difficulties. We need forgiveness for our sins against our Creator. This is our fundamental need. This is what all of these stories of authority are driving at. We've seen this, haven't we? Jesus healed sickness, but we saw that sickness is rooted in sin. Jesus calmed the storm, but in the storm he said, why aren't you believing? He cast out demons, but then we saw that the town themselves were following the demons and rejecting Jesus. We, we have a fundamental internal problem of sin. This is our greatest need. It's not for Jesus to do something for us on the outside, not for Jesus to change something in our lives. The greatest thing that could happen to us is forgiveness. Here's what the Bible tells us. We do not exist for ourselves. I mean, you, you exist, right? You feel yourself. You're a person. You're here. Someone's given you your life. You didn't choose to be born. You exist because God made you exist. You, you're here and you're alive and you're breathing because there's a God who created you and has sustained you and has given you life today. He, he created you as his image bearer to enjoy him, to glorify him. And the Bible tells us that every one of us has rejected this purpose. Every one of us has rejected the God who made us and gives us life and sustains us. We've all said we don't want him. and We don't want to glorify him. And the Bible tells us that because God is holy and righteous and just, and because we've sinned against him, that we must be judged. And the judgment for sin against a God of infinite glory is everlasting punishment in hell. Listen, no matter how good or bad your life is, no matter how easy or hard your life is, if you die in your sins, then hell will be your eternal dwelling place. So the Bible tells us we are all deserving of and destined for hell. We need forgiveness more than we need anything else. We need our sins to be taken care of. And this is what the paralyzed man had to realize. He had to realize that it's better to be paralyzed and be forgiven than to walk and be in my sin. This is the shift that we need to take place. What is that thing that you're tempted to believe? If this would just change, my life would be better and I'd be happier and more encouraged. And you realize, no, no, forgiveness is the thing you need. Better for Jesus to leave you in your situation and teach you that you need forgiveness than to help you in that thing but leave you in your sin. Forgiveness is our greatest need. Second, if we're going to take heart in our forgiveness, we need to realize that Jesus has the authority to forgive our sins. Jesus has the authority to forgive our sins. Now remember, this interaction with the paralyzed man was not happening in private. This is a house full of people. They're watching all of this unfold. And some of these people were scribes. And here for the first time in the Gospel of Matthew, we see uh, religious leaders beginning to set themselves in opposition to Jesus. Look at verse 3. Behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, this man is blaspheming. So when the scribes heard Jesus declare that the paralyzed man was forgiven, they said to themselves, we don't know if they're whispering to each other or saying in their own minds, but they said, that's blasphemy. That's blasphemy. Well, what is, what's blasphemy? We use that, we hear that word sometimes. What is, what is blasphemy referring to? One commentator defines it like this. It's, it's any way that we violate the power or nature of God. It's any way that we slander the glory of God. 
you could commit blasphemy by somehow saying that God is less than he really is or, or, or rejecting the glory of God. Or you could place yourself in the position of God in some way. You could, you could take on the divine prerogative for yourself and, and steal glory from God. This is blasphemy. And the reason why these scribes here say Jesus is committing blasphemy is because Jesus is saying something that only God can say. Your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. Let's think about this. Let's say that you go outside after the service, and my minivan's right over here, okay? Let's say you get a baseball bat, and you just decide, for some reason, I've offended you, and you just go to town on our minivan with that bat. And you're just smashing it all in and breaking the windows, and, and I don't know what's going on, but Joey does, okay? Joey sees, and Joey walks outside, and says, what are you doing? They say, um, I shouldn't have done this. I got really mad at Phil, so I had to, to blow the minivan to pieces with this baseball bat. And Joey says, it's okay, I forgive you. I forgive you. Now, that's very kind of Joey, but Joey's not me, and that's not Joey's van. Joey can't forgive you for smashing in my windows on my van. And we really like our minivan, so please, don't do that. But this is, this is the truth. When, when, when you sin against someone, that person is the one who has authority to forgive, and no one else does. No one else can forgive you. And the reality about sin, the very word sin, has this connotation of a God that we've sinned against. The reality is that sin is fundamentally against God. You just probably know the story of David and Bathsheba. David committed adultery with Bathsheba, then he murdered her husband Uriah. And yet in Psalm 51... He said, against you and you only have I sinned. Well, of course, he sinned against Bathsheba, and he sinned against Uriah, and even against all of Israel. But because we are created by God and accountable to God, sin is ultimately against God, and only God has the authority to say, I forgive you. And yet, here is this man from Nazareth. Let's try to get into the world of the people who were there. They see this man from Nazareth named Jesus, who has the audacity to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven. By all external appearances, this was blasphemy. If this was anyone else, it would be blasphemy. If this was me or you, this would be blasphemy. But look at how Jesus responds in verse 4. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? This response says a lot, doesn't it? I mean, if someone accused me of blasphemy, do you know what I would do? I would try to clear my name. I'd say, no, you, you misunderstood me. I didn't mean that. But when they accuse Jesus of blasphemy, he says, why do you think evil in your hearts? The reason accusing Jesus of blasphemy here was evil because Jesus actually is God. It wasn't Jesus who was committing evil by speaking for God. It was the scribes who were committing evil by thinking Jesus is anything less than God. He wasn't the one blaspheming. They were the ones blaspheming by calling it evil. And by saying that their thoughts about him were evil, Jesus was saying, I have the authority to forgive sins. I have that authority because I am God. This is a claim to deity Jesus is making here. He's claiming, this man is claiming to be God. This man's sins are against me. This paralyzed man has sinned against me, and I'm forgiving him now. That's what Jesus is saying. Now imagine with me that you're the paralyzed man at this point. You came to Jesus for healing. And this man, this miracle worker, Jesus, says you're forgiven. And you're discouraged that 
Jesus didn't heal you, but you begin to wonder, as this interaction's unfolding with the scribes, you begin to wonder, is it true? Am I really forgiven? Can he do that? Can this man from Nazareth forgive my sins? And to prove to the scribes, to prove to the man that he really does have this authority to forgive sins, look at what Jesus does next. He says, for which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise and walk? Now this is not a trick question. You know, sometimes you're afraid to answer because you're like, what does he mean by that? It's not a trick question. It's easier to say your sins are forgiven. The reason it's easier to say that is because nobody can disprove it. Right? Nobody, can, nobody can say that's not true because it's not something you can point to. You can't point to someone and say they're forgiven, they're not forgiven. It's not testable, right? But to say rise and walk, well, the proof's in the pudding, right? Either the person can walk or they can't. That's harder to say in the sense that it's immediately testable. And Jesus says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. The paralyzed man gets what he originally came for. Jesus commands this man who couldn't walk to walk. He says, pick up your mat and go home. And the man picks up his mat and he goes home. What do you think was going on in his mind on the way home? I mean, imagine being that man walking on your way home, carrying your mat, walking away from this interaction with Jesus. And surely he was rejoicing, right? He's probably skipping. He's probably running home. But what was he rejoicing in? That he could walk again? For sure. Surely he's rejoicing he can walk again. But don't you think that spinning around in his mind, there's something else going on? Here's what this man was realizing. The one who made me walk again just told me my sins are forgiven. And if he has the power to heal me, then he must have the authority to forgive me. That's the point of the healing. Jesus authenticated his authority to forgive by healing the paralyzed man. The healing was a proof that he can forgive. The healing demonstrated that Jesus is who he says he is. The son of man who has authority on earth to forgive sins. Jesus is the one who forgives sins. Church, our deepest need is forgiveness. We've said that, but who do we need forgiveness from? Who do we need to ask for forgiveness it's not just some generic God. It's not just any God of any religion. It's not a priest. It's not a pastor. It's not, we just need to forgive ourselves. We need forgiveness from Jesus. Jesus is the one who created us. Jesus is our God. Jesus is the one we've sinned against. And Jesus is the one with authority to forgive. This man, Jesus of Nazareth, who walked 2,000 years ago, is the eternal Son of God, and he is the one who has the authority to forgive our sins. Forgiveness is our deepest need. We need forgiveness from Jesus himself. He's the one we've sinned against. He's, he's the one who has authority to forgive our sins. And at this point, I want to make a distinction that I think will help us. It's one thing for someone to have authority to forgive sins. The one who has authority to forgive sins is the one who has been sinned against and the one that's able to grant forgiveness. But church, it's another thing for the one who has authority to forgive to actually extend that forgiveness. Just because someone has the authority to forgive doesn't mean they will forgive. And we know this, if you've been sinned against, if you've been sinned against, especially in a grievous way, you know that forgiveness is not natural. Forgiveness is not easy. We want 
bitterness. We want vengeance. We want justice. Jesus has the authority to forgive, but the question is, will he forgive? Does he forgive? Will God forgive our sins? Will God forgive your sins? What have you done? What sins have you committed? Will God forgive you? You need his forgiveness. He has authority, but will he do it? And this leads to the third reality we need to realize this morning. If we're going to take heart in our forgiveness, we need to realize that Jesus came to purchase our forgiveness. Jesus came to purchase our forgiveness. Look at verse 8. When the crowds saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God who had given such authority to men. There's a continuous theme throughout the Gospel of Matthew that's so prevalent that it's easy to ignore, but here it is. Jesus is a man, and yet he's also God. I mean, that's just constantly coming to us as the reader. This man, Jesus, is God. He's God, yet he's a man. And and that should constantly cause us to, to ask, why? Why? I mean, this, Jesus has the authority of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God, and yet all of this is wrapped up in someone who is completely and fully a human being, a carpenter's son from a little town called Nazareth. Why? Why did the Son of God come as a man? The crowd see it. The crowd see that here's this man with the authority of God. Why? And the answer, we're going to keep reading through Matthew to the end, is that the Son of God became a man to purchase our forgiveness. The Son of God became a man to purchase our forgiveness. Jesus has the authority to forgive because he's God. But Jesus has the willingness to forgive. And he became a man. And Jesus actually, as a man, purchases our forgiveness. Remember what I said earlier, because God is holy and just and righteous, our sin deserves judgment. But think about that. Just like a judge, a good judge cannot just just ignore the crimes of someone in a court of law. So God cannot simply brush our sins under a rug and pronounce forgiveness. For God to do that would be against his holy and righteous and just character. He cannot just ignore sin. Our sins need to be paid for. Justice must be met. My minivan needs to be paid for, right? Someone needs to fix the windows. And this is the good and glorious news of the gospel, is that the God who has authority to forgive sins became a man to pay the penalty for our sins. The God who has the authority to forgive sins became a man to pay the penalty for our sins. The Son of God, this is what we celebrated earlier, the Son of God took on a body, was represented in in the bread, took on a body in order for that body to be crucified in the place of sinners, so that sinners can be forgiven. Forgiveness is our greatest need, and Jesus came to meet that need through his death for sins. Listen, there's more, church. There's more to the story. In our story this morning, Jesus authenticated his authority to forgive. How? By causing the man to walk, right? He said, rise, pick your bed, and go home. And the man rose and went home, and that showed his authority to forgive sins. But church, there's an even greater authentication of his authority than this in the gospel. How do we know that Jesus has authority to forgive our sins? Because after he was crucified on the third day, he rose from the dead. He rose. He walked. His resurrection is the fullest proof of his authority to forgive us because he's risen again. We can be sure that when Jesus of Nazareth says, I forgive you, we really are forgiven. 
That's how we know he's risen again. He's alive. He's conquered death. He's paid for sins. It's all true. It's all true. Jesus is the Son of God who took on flesh to pay for our sins, and he rose again. And when he says, I forgive you, no matter what you've done, you can know you are forgiven. So church, three applications this morning. First, receive the gift of Jesus' forgiveness. Receive the gift of Jesus' forgiveness. This text tells us that it was when Jesus saw their faith that he declared this man forgiven. It's when he saw the faith of this paralyzed man. This is what the Bible teaches, is that Jesus' forgiveness comes to us through faith alone. Faith is complete reliance. Faith is complete trust. Faith is laying ourselves out completely in trust on the person and work of Jesus. Faith turns away from works. Faith turns away from earning our way. There's nothing we can do to earn forgiveness. Jesus isn't saying, if you live good enough life from here on out, then I'll forgive you. No, Jesus says, there's nothing you can do, but I've done it all. Trust in me and receive the gift of forgiveness. This morning, if you have never received the gift of Jesus' forgiveness, if you've never heard Jesus say to you, your sins are forgiven, then place your faith in Jesus this morning. He died and rose again to purchase forgiveness for all who believe. Trust in him alone today. Call out to him this morning. Call out to him right now for salvation and hear him say to you, your sins are forgiven. Listen, it doesn't matter what you've done. There's no sin that is too big for Jesus to forgive. On the other side of that, maybe you think you've lived a good life, but listen, every sin is deserving of his death on the cross for us. We need forgiveness. And Jesus offers it through his own death and resurrection. Call out to him today and receive the gift of his forgiveness. Second church, I think this is the main idea of this whole passage. Take heart in Jesus' forgiveness. Are you discouraged this morning? Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Are you worried about something? Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Are you sad? Are you grieving? Take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Are you fearful? Church, take heart. Your sins are forgiven. Take heart. If meditating on your forgiveness is not causing you to take heart and to be encouraged and to be comforted, then you are forgetting the reward of forgiveness. You're not not grasping why forgiveness is so precious. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Do you realize why forgiveness is so precious? And listen, it's not just because it saves us from hell, though it does. Forgiveness is precious because if you've been forgiven, then you belong to Jesus. If you've been forgiven, then you are his and he is yours. And no matter what is going on in your life, there is this fundamental reality that no one can touch that you belong to Jesus. And no matter what's happening, you can take heart in that. You can say, I'm his and I'm going to be his forever and ever. So it doesn't matter what's going on on the outside, as hard as it might be, I can take heart because I've been forgiven of my sins and I belong to him. 
He is the one we are made for. He is the one who will satisfy us forever and ever. So church, this morning, take heart because you have been forgiven of your sins through faith in Jesus. And finally, church, tell others about Jesus' forgiveness. Tell each other, right? And this is why we have discipleship groups and home groups, these, these times. I and mean, it's okay to come to church and someone at, at the door says, how are you doing? And I mean, they probably don't mean right in this moment, like, come on, pour it out right here in, in, in the doorway. They can wait behind you. No, that, maybe not the best time, but there needs to be a time and place where you come together with other believers and, and you say, how are you doing? And you mean it, and, and you pour out your heart to each other, and you say, here's how I'm doing. And in that moment, we can say to each other, not tritely, but truly, take heart, your sins are forgiven. Don't forget, your sins are forgiven. Don't forget, you belong to Jesus. We need to do that for each other. We need to encourage each other with the gospel. We need to do this for the world. Church, we live in a world that is losing hope, that is hopeless. Every week we hear of people who, who probably, if you just see them uh, in the school or at work and you say, how are you doing? They're going to say, I'm good, and that's it. But inside, they have no hope. They have, no, they have no, no reason to continue on. And we have a reason to give them. We have something to say to them. Mission, where is it? It's over there. Taking the hope of the gospel. Not just saying, it's the hope of the gospel. Taking the hope of the gospel. We have hope to give them because Jesus is the one who has authority to forgive our sins. Forgiveness is our greatest need. And he came to make forgiveness possible through faith in him. He died and rose again so we can give people hope. And we need to do it. We need to believe no matter what someone says, they're doing good. We need to know that apart from Jesus, no one's doing good. No one, no one is really doing good apart from Jesus. We need to bring the hope of the gospel to the lost. So church, tell others about Jesus' forgiveness. Call others to faith in him. I'm about to sing a song that calls us to this hope. And again, I want to remind you, church, and encourage you to meditate as we sing on the preciousness of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not the goal of the gospel. Forgiveness gets us the goal of the gospel, which is Jesus himself. If we're forgiven, we belong to him. Let's rejoice in that this morning together. Father, thank you for your word. And Father, thank you that you love us better than we know. Jesus, you love us better than we, we know. We often come asking for things that we believe will make us feel better and encourage us and and Lord you you see what we really need. Lord we thank you that you offer free and full forgiveness of our sins through your son. Lord please help us to never take forgiveness lightly. Please help us to remember that forgiveness is our greatest need and because of forgiveness, we are reconciled to you and help us to believe and to feel how precious the flow of Christ's poured out blood for our forgiveness truly is. Pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.